that's what it's all about, right? Somebody's got to step up. To uh, constantly get better and, and stagnation just has no place, I, I think, at least in a, in a very good engine or ladder company. Welcome to the Triple P Podcast, premier, professional, and proactive, brought to you by the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association. I'm your host, Clayton O'Brien, and I'm the Fire Chief for the City of Oregon, and I'm an active member of the association. I currently sit on the executive board for the Ohio Fire Chiefs Foundation, and I became an association fellow in 2021 as part of class number 10. The Ohio Fire Chiefs Association exists to improve the safety of Ohio by leading, representing, educating, and supporting Ohio emergency services. This podcast is not only for the members of the association, but also for any other fire and emergency service leaders. It is the purpose of the association to promote education, best practices, and study ways and means to cope with the ever-increasing need for a better understanding of the complex problems which are being presented to the fire protection and emergency services of our nation today. And I'm joined by my co-host, Assistant Chief Joel Fry from the Napoleon Fire Department and Fire Chief Joshua Hartberger of the White House Fire Department. Thanks, Clayton. Hello, I'm Joel Fry, Assistant Fire Chief for Napoleon Fire and Rescue. I am a current member of the OFCA and I currently sit on the Education Committee. I am happy to be here striving to advance the fire service as a whole. And I'm Joshua Hartbarger from the White House Fire Department. I'm also a member of the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association and I sit on the Education Committee and the Legislative Committee. Welcome to episode 11 of the Triple P Podcast. Uh, today, we actually have uh, Captain Brad French from the Dayton Fire Department, uh, which I'm super excited about having on uh, today in today's episode, because when I, first met, uh, when I first met Captain French, it was actually back in 2015 at the Ohio Fire Chiefs Conference when uh, you did a class on, I, I believe it was like high-rise operations, and you were a lieutenant uh, riding an engine downtown in Dayton. Do you remember that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've, I've had a, a couple of neat opportunities to come up there to the to that conference and always have a great time. It's always such great interaction. And um, yeah, I, I have gotten to talk on uh, some high rise stuff, some company officer stuff, some training officer stuff. So I've always had a great time at, uh, at the uh, OFCA conference up there. Well, what was also really cool is uh, during that time, you you really uh, talked a lot about uh, the company officer being an instructor or the company officer as an instructor, daily drills and doing all these different things that you would do with your team um, each and every shift and and trying to just, you know, fully take ownership of the of the men and women underneath your command or riding the same truck as you. And um, I took a lot away from that because I felt like that was something that's definitely needed in the fire service across the board. So today, what we get to talk about is all about that, the, the company officer as an instructor and and how and what that impact looks like for all the people underneath you. So super cool. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. I really uh, appreciate it, Chief O'Brien and the rest of the team. It's a, a neat opportunity for me to be on here. And I, I'm just I'm passionate about talking about a lot of things in the fire service, uh, you know, that we can't hit, hit on everything today. We can talk about fire dynamics. We can talk about high rise. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But um, I really am passionate about the impact of a good company officer and um, the, that concept of constant training and preparedness. And, and the phrase I love to use all the time is that a rising tide lifts all boats, right? If everybody's getting a little bit smarter every day, we're really positioning ourselves as a company to be one of the, you know, one of the top performing companies. You, we all strive 
um, you know, to kind of be that company that when the chief looks down the street as, you know, resources are showing up, that chief looks at us, looks at us as we're walking up, walking up and says, hey, here we go. This is the, I'm going to I'm going to send them to do a difficult assignment here that I need done in a time sensitive manner and doesn't look up the street and think, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with this bunch? Um, so so, you know, we want to try to get ourselves in a position of operating at a really optimal level tactically. And I think the way to do that is to just you know, just just have a good vibe, a good aura of training and professional development around the station all the time. So I think that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. And I just want to expand upon that. You know, I have uh, Chief Josh Hartberger here as well. And also uh, uh, Chief Joel Fry from Napoleon, too. And and then having you from Dayton. And we have uh, uh, just a, a vast majority of different types of, um, I guess, what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say like levels or size departments, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So different size departments. You're a metropolitan department. Uh, in Oregon, we're uh, just a, a smaller city department. And then you have... Combination department with White House. So part-time, full-time, and volunteers. Yep. And then we are the same. Combination department with uh, part-time, full-time, and volunteers as well. So I think nice. between just the four of us all talking here, it's just, it really in, you know, captures every size fire department across the state of Ohio. So, um, you know, it, and that's, what's going to be like, it doesn't matter what size you are, what he's going to talk, what we're going to talk about today is going to impact every single it's department. Applicable to everybody. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and really, and training is universal, right? Our commitment to the community, our commitment to, uh, you know, the fellow responders that are riding the apparatus with us, it's irrelevant of, of size of department or pay status or anything like that. It's, you know, we're all doing the right things for the right reasons. And, um, you know, training is training is where it's at. Training is where it is what drives competency and competency is what drives good external customer service in our communities. So on the day in the life of a Captain French or a Lieutenant French back when you were riding the engine, uh, tell me about it, you know, uh, when you show up to shift or, you know, what is it? What's it look like? Yeah, so absolutely. So as probably any of our viewers could see, if there's a video component to this, I'm uh, in an office now at our fire headquarters. I'm, I'm currently on a 40-hour daytime assignment doing some special projects. But a lot of what my perspective was back at that time when I originally kind of created some of this, the content that, that uh, we were talking about at that at that uh, OFCA conference um, was really for my time on Engine 4, Engine 4 on the 3rd Platoon in Dayton. And I always joke with people um, that at that time, Engine 4 on the 3rd Platoon in the Dayton Fire Department was the best engine company in the city, the best fire suppression company in the city, period. There's no question about it. We're not going to have a debate about it. It just is. And But here's the thing. The caveat to that is I'm not really that arrogant. I don't really think that in, in, in such a you know uh, conceited or condescending way. The reality is I say that to people because I want them to think about their company that way. Yep. Whether that's you know whether that's engine one in, in in Napoleon or whether that's engine four in the city of Dayton or whether that's you know engine engine nine in the city of Columbus, whatever, anywhere in between, we need to have that pride. We need to have that pride and we need to have that drive to uh, constantly get better and, and stagnation just has no place, I, I think, at least in a, in a very good engine or ladder company. And so anyways, we would, the whole vibe that I would try to create um, at that time period was just a kind of an aura or a vibe is how I usually refer to it of constant professional development around the station. So um, it, it starts to me, it starts with things um, like 
even even simple things like having drills up on the wall of the bathroom when you're going to the urinal or something like that you're sitting there reading through you're sitting there reading through some some you know hydraulics notes or you know hose load stuff or some some recent NIOSH report that was put out or something along those lines and so everywhere you look there's some training content right um, and when we would also start out every day with some type of a drill right out of the chute, right? Um, you know, get our get our gear near the apparatus and things like that. Certainly preparedness is always something that we wanna, uh, you know, we wanna have everything good to go, but right then at seven o'clock or eight o'clock or whenever your shift change is, that is a perfect moment. While everybody's attention is really laser focused on that officer at that moment, that's a perfect time to do some training. And it's really a missed opportunity if you don't, because everybody's kind of zeroed in, you know, maybe the lights come on or the, you know, the bells hit or whatever they say, you know, you know, it's, today is December 5th, you know, third platoon is on duty, Wh whatever your shift change process looks like. And I realize some fire departments, there's not quite a structured shift change process, and that's fine too. But at that moment is a great time that everyone's attention is focused in on you. So before you're talking about what the riding assignments are, before you're talking about what hydrant group you're doing that day, or before you're talking about what goof at the other fire station, you know, back the ladder truck into the into the bay or you know into the bay door or something like that. Before you get to all of that type of typical firehouse banter, use that moment for even just a brief period of time for five minutes, 10 minutes and do a quick little drill. Um, whether that's everybody, you know, passing out some practice ropes and everybody tying some knots really quickly, or whether that's, uh, you know, passing around some 12 lead EKGs and doing rhythm interpretation or something like that if you, if, if you, uh, you know, provide EMS service as well. Simple little things like that um, really go a long way to just setting the stage and setting the vibe around the fire station. And so, um, you know, other little things to kind of extend that out, that conversation of having a good vibe of training, little things that sometimes we don't think about. Like when you leave a, when you leave a fire alarm, I mean, you know, swiveling the FDC inlets before you leave. And like all of the little things that build competence and confidence over time um, are, are really key to just having a good, a good company culture and i think that's really where it's where it's at right is the ones that are going to perform the best in the moment when you know it's 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 a, a high stress situation are the ones that practice all the time that just have a good company culture and they have trust in each other they have good esprit de corps um I, I talk a lot about when it comes to creating those training mechanisms and things like that even if it's something as simple as a daily drill don't always make it be the officer or don't make it always be driven from your training, your training division or your or your training officer or your chief or something like that. Sometimes it, it works great to empower the younger members in that company as well, because they've got something to contribute. I guarantee that everybody listening to this podcast right now has somebody in their organization that is young and up and coming and they want to be engaged. They want to be involved. They're just overflowing with excitement about wanting to show someone that they know what they're talking about. And instead of just smashing those folks down and telling them they don't have enough time on the job and all that kind of stuff, embrace that, empower those folks. Um, because what that does for you is a couple of things. Number one, you give them the opportunity to create a drill or something like that. They're gonna go and they're gonna study the heck out of that. They're gonna read every manual they can find. They're gonna get their hands on it. They're really gonna be spun up on that particular piece of equipment or device that say you're, you're gonna train on the following shift day, for example, or something like that. Um, and then when that day comes, 
then they get to put on a little training. Everybody else in the company, all the other guys that have been around for a little bit longer realize, okay, well, this kid knows what he's talking about here a little bit. And then that kid gets to feel a little bit more accepted. Everybody learns a little something. The rising tide lifts all boats. Everybody gets a little bit smarter and we build that esprit de corps. We build that company culture of everybody being excited about the job and learn something that day. And it's just part of the fabric of what we do as a company. Every day, we're gonna do a little something to get smarter. Um, and so just little things like that, I guess, are what really drove a lot of that company culture um, at that time period in my career, which I still say all the time was absolutely uh, my favorite time period of my career. I, I would uh, venture a guess that all the, 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 the chiefs that I had the pleasure of sitting with here today would love to jump in the front seat of an apparatus every once in a while if you had the chance. I so, tell you, uh, you know. 100%. Absolutely. And I, you know, and that's, you made so many good points there that uh, I think even just in being a new chief in the department that I'm in now that we've been talking about so much here lately. And it's just that the hardest thing about training is just getting started. Getting it going. Yeah. yeah. Once you get it going, once you get it started, I mean, everybody's super fulfilled after they're working in it, doing it. And then, um, you know, everybody's super fulfilled afterwards, but it's just like getting it started. So if you're all sitting around the table, it's just easier to kind of sit there and, you know, do the firehouse banter, if you will, and yeah. uh, joke around and hang out. But then, um, you know, so it's like the capture of the opportunity. Now that's the first time I've heard the uh, using the eight o'clock or using that very first little bit. That's the first, that's a good, that's a really good idea because I've never heard that piece, uh, but I've always kind of utilize the the times of saying like if there's an opportunity on the bay floor at any time just to take that opportunity for those small little bits of times to not make every daily drill have to be like oh we got to do a daily drill it's going to be two hours or whatever else when really it takes 30 minutes or 40 minutes and you can knock out some and then if it continues to go on it continues to go on because it's a great training mm -hmm. it's infectious yeah. I mean, I think that's the key is that, you know, you get good training going and people just, they embrace it. They, they want to do more. They want to do better. Yeah. As far as and that then, early yeah, morning um, shift change, you know, back in the day when I was a captain, you know, that's one thing I would do. I would always bring up a policy and review, a, review one of the policies or guidelines or the response plans that we had in place. And hey, just every day, a new one and just cycled them through because you might not see it for another six months, mm -hmm. but uh, you'll see it once or twice a year at least. Mm hmm. And when you really start to make some progress, I think, of creating that good company culture and that good training and professional development culture is what happens when you're not there, right? Because that's the key. It's, it's easy for me to drive that when I'm the company officer and I'm here today and this is what we're going to do. But but when you hear feedback of, you know, from a, in, in our larger, larger agency, would, you know, would be called a relief officer or a covering officer or something like that, when somebody else is there that day, and, and I get some feedback from them after the fact that, man, these guys were doing a drill right out of the gate today, or, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't leave that particular, uh, they wouldn't leave that particular alarm until we, you know, went and, you know, whatever, found where the FDC was that we didn't know about, or we went down and, and, and had the maintenance guy take us up into the elevator room to look at stuff just to, just for a refresher or something like that. When, when it starts to generate itself, then you've really gotten to to a good place, and and at that time, again, I, I always brag on that uh, that time period and the guys that I had the opportunity to work with then. But we were the busiest company in the city, we the busiest company, the busiest fire apparatus in the city, and but and and had the most training hours at the same time. And that is a duality that's really hard to pull off unless you've got a great group of folks. And we just were able to build a cool company culture. Um, 
And I, you know, as I said, uh, you know, I'd, I'd put us up against anybody, but I don't, I never come at that from an arrogant standpoint. I just simply want other people to feel the same way. And if you don't, then you got some work to do, right? It's the same, mm-hmm. the same way. I, I feel just as passionately about getting out into your community and knowing your first due district. Very, very important to know where all the FDCs are on your buildings and where are the Knox boxes and where's that fire alarm control panel inside. And, you know, is the one inside the front vestibule? Is that an enunciator? Is that the main panel? Where is the main panel? Is it in the basement? All of these little intricacies to know about your buildings. There's really no excuse to to not do that and to not learn those things. Um, now, granted, when it was, you know, when I was at Engine 4, we're in the downtown core down here in a lot of high-rise buildings and things like that. And so some of that stuff comes a little bit smoother than than when you go out maybe into a bedroom, a bedroom community or there's a little bit less of that commercial district. But everybody has something, right? Even when it comes to understanding sprinklers and standpipes and fire pumps and things like that, even if all you've got is the little four-story Holiday Inn Express out at the edge of town at the interstate or something like that. You know, you've got a need to know some of those things. And so just getting out in the uh, in the district, I think, is really, really important. We would just go get a to-go coffee and just go park the engine and just walk blocks, look at forcible entry challenges, look at talking about roll-up doors, talking about, um, you know, FDC workarounds for stuck swivels and things like that. Um, and everybody had fun. Everybody had a good time doing it. And, you know, of course, we'd catch runs and have to go back and start over again and things like that. But it just created a vibe where they knew what the expectation was, and they knew that we were going to do something to get smarter every day, and and uh, definitely started to enjoy it over time. I always tell people, um, if if you don't, particularly if you have any kind of commercial or industrial buildings or large complex buildings, high rise buildings, things like that, if you can't sit here and tell me all of the ones that surround your station, where all of those FDCs, fire you know fire pump test headers, alarm control panels, if you have no idea on half of those buildings, then unfortunately you've got no business sitting in a recliner on a Tuesday at 9 a.m. That's just that's just not part of the deal. And and your your crew deserves better than that. The citizens deserve better than that. And um, you know, it's always a running joke about the um, you know the recliner, if you will, because you can't turn four pages in a fire service trade magazine without finding an advertisement for 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 one of those uh, you know recliners or whatever. And I get it. Like I, I've spent plenty of time in a firehouse recliner over the years, but to me, that's for after dinner. That's for a Sunday. That's for 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 something where um, you know if we're if we're kicked back and just uh, if we're kicked back, not really doing much, and we're a-level players where everybody's squared away. You ask them something about how to do X, Y, and Z procedure or about how to do a well hole stretch or a rope stretch at the outside of the building, phase one, phase two, elevator controls, you know, operating a smoke control system, something like that. And if, if they're squared away, okay, I, I can calm down a little bit on that. But if it's if it's some of the folks that really do need some training and they really don't even, I mean, I hate to use the cliche phrase, but they don't even know what they don't know, which is half the problem. Um, you know, they don't even realize there's this chasm of missing information in their head yet. And so, you know, when you have those folks uh, that are that are just kicked back and taking it easy on a on a Thursday at noon, um, you know, that that becomes problematic a little bit, at least in my philosophy as a company officer. Well, I think in all of ours, especially in mine, like you made a good point there. So like sitting in the recliner at Tuesday at 9 a.m. And I've always said and I've always lived by the fact that if I couldn't recite in my mind, how to do something, and I'm sitting in the recliner, I had to get up and go do it. 
You have to get up and go do it. If I can't, if I can't in my mind walk through the process of how to load our cr- cross lay or how to unload our cross lay or how to hit a hydrant or what that uh, you know seizure or chest pain protocol or or where the piece of equipment was on the truck, then I had to go get up and go find it. My conscious just wouldn't allow me to just sit there and do that. But you know, when you use that cliche, you don't know what you don't know. But if you're not asking the questions, then you're not ever going to know. How do and you ever expand it? How do you ever expand it? And and so far too much is like it's just like the you know the the day in the life of the fire service and the firefighter is that yes we build all of our working relationships uh around the kitchen table i get that or in the recliners or on a sunday but i want to say that you build the respect for each other on the fire ground or on the training ground and that's where it really comes to really comes absolutely because because at the end of the day what what do we all want you know i guess we get we get a paycheck and things like that and and we get to have a, a a good time. At the end of the day, I think most people in the fire service are driven by the desire for respect of their peers. They want to. You want to be. A, you want to be a good. A good guy or or, or a, a, you know a good gal on the on the fire apparatus. You want to be somebody. I could. I tell people all the time. I could sit here in my head right now and I could magically with a magic wand create the engine company and the truck company that I want first due to my house if my five-year-old is trapped in an upstairs bedroom. And I could sit here and list off names of people. It almost gives me goosebumps talking about it. I could tell you who I want to be showing up on that rig if my house with my kid in it is on fire. Um, and and that's, that's the, the type of firefighter that I think we all strive to be. Um, and one other thing I'll point out, and then I'll kick it back to you guys for some th- thoughts on this particular thing that I'm going to bring up, which is um, you're all chiefs in the room, and that gives you a neat opportunity to lead from the front, right? Certainly the company officer should be leading from the front, not saying, hey, uh, go ahead and head on over there and put your put your uh, Nomex on backwards, and we're going to do some uh, – and when I say, you know, we're going to do, I mean you're going to do – uh, sweat your butt off and do a bunch of down firefighter writ drills, that, that doesn't work, right? Immediately, the, if, if the officer's sitting there in their regular clothes and everybody else is sweating their butt off, that's gonna that's not gonna do much for the for the uh, the respect that that company officer carries with him. But I would turn it back to you guys as well. And and um, as chief officers, that's a neat thing you can do. And it's so tough. And I think there's such a um, I think anybody that's a chief officer and even me in an administrative role now, it does kind of get tough sometimes because you always tell yourself, oh, I'm gonna go out there for that drill. Oh, I want to I want to make it to that incident. I want to. You always have more things that are more firefighter-ish in your head than you ever have the opportunity to do because one thing leads to another. And well, I got to go do this priority project. But um, I, I'll tell a story, and I've, I've told this at, at doing this class a lot of times. I was at a small career department, um, a t- two-station department. I think we had 40, 40 folks or something like that. And um, we had the, a, a, a writ, uh, I, I guess I should say an entanglement simulator set up out in the bay, right? It's the box with the wires going through it and all that kind of stuff. You're doing low-profile SCBA stuff. And our chief, the chief of the department at the time, um, came out, nice pressed, white shirt, starched, looking good, and uh, was just kind of taking it all in, listening to the instructor and things like that. It was one of our captains. And that chief got and went and got his stuff, his white gear, and just paired up. Didn't have to be like with the captain or something like that. He just paired up with a random firefighter and crawled through, did all the stuff, did the SCBA displacement, all that kind of stuff, and came out and was sweating his butt off, shirt looked like crap, and he just said some complimentary things to the instructors and went back to his office. And that was probably 19, 20 years ago, and I still bring it up to this moment. So what kind of effect did that have on me as a young firefighter to see that 
that I still bring it up almost 20 years later to see that senior leader of the department out there, you know, getting, getting, uh, you know, getting hot and sweaty with us. And the same thing, even here, when I ran our training division here for uh, a couple of years, um, you know, our three assistant chiefs, you know, uh, you know, pretty, pretty high level players in a, in a fairly large 300 plus person fire department. And they got out there and they did every single drill that everybody else was doing when we were, did a training cycle and things like that really matter. So I, what are your guys thoughts on that? It's imperative. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it, it is easy to get lost in the duties of the day. Uh, but, you know, these, these, these opportunities only come along so often. And it is a struggle. You know, we still have, uh, our, you know, our tasks and duties we have to get done. But our expectations are the same of our people. So we, we expect you. We have tasks you have to accomplish. But yet you still fit training in that. So absolutely. Uh, you know, some of my best time actually as a chief is going back and doing the basic training. That's what I was uh, going to say. I was like, it's just so much fun. Yesterday I was is. out on the bay with them. Uh, they were pulling hose and like, it was like two, three hours out there and you're going through these multiple ones. And I'm like, oh, this is like, this is where it's at. Because as that chief had that impact for you, I had the same thing. When I first became a young firefighter in Faustoria, uh, it was like my first or second uh, shift. Chief is out there rolling hose with us after a structure fire. He says, Clayton, one day when you become a chief, I hope you stay out here rolling hose with your guys too. Yep. And that never left me from this day and always said that you're exactly right. It's the impact there. It's the same thing that Joel and I used to do all the time. We couldn't get out there on their dailies a lot of times, but yeah. on the quarterly live burns, you know, get the gear on, get in the fires and do what we had to do to just be able to say at some points, you got to say, we, we still, still got it. it. Yeah, we still got it. I mean, I, I and I and Joel and I talk about this a lot. Well, I guess I don't know if Joel does for sure because I know I do. But uh, just in the last, uh, I thought the, he was going to say he still got it. Is that what he's got? I, thought I know I've got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know you do. A couple months ago, a couple months ago, Joel and I are working. We are uh, we only have four guys, only four guys at Napoleon, and uh, this is this is just awesome. So we had a brand new guy that just got checked off on driving the engine, and we had a captain there. So there was only two guys working and then it was Joel and I and a structure fire comes in uh we roll three and one out of the engine those three is Joel the captain and the new brand new driver and in the engine and I was in the medic unit I'm sizing it up from the medic unit coming around doing a 360 Joel and them are forcing the door they got the line laid out we are not even talking right and this is like the things that we haven't been in those daily drills and so Joel and uh Joel and Captain Riser hit the door the new guy is just handling the engine like it's no big deal and I am like you know high five them out there we're humping it through the door we i i i just it gives me goosebumps talking about it because one hour and 15 minutes we had that fire out done overhauled and we were back at the station rolling house and that was <laughs> yeah and and i'm saying and it all boils down to just like what you talked about a lot is just you got to have confidence in your skills and you and the only way you're ever going to be confident is if you continue to do it and you do it do it do it and then um but like what i've been preaching a lot is like sometimes like what you've just talked about a lot is that you keep things simple and and as firefighters a lot of the times that some individuals always just want to make it so hard. I don't know if it's like their their mindset of saying like if I can make it harder, then I look smarter or 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 what? Because like to me I'm like it's a fire. Like it will go out if we put water on it, but if we got to get the hose there. Like it's just like so simple to me that I think that we just sometimes make it so hard then um, or complicate it to a point where then people get discouraged. Yeah. But sometimes that simplicity of it is because we've been doing it for so long. 
that these new members, when they come on, you think it's really simple, but they have to think of every step along the way. What do I grab? Where do I take it? Yeah. Where do I step? I don't want to fall down. You know? That is a good, that yeah. is a really good We've point. We've done it so much that you're just, it's muscle memory for us by this point on the task. Yeah. We don't have to think about every little task. We're thinking on a, maybe a little bit higher level of tactics wise. You know that you, he, you bring up a good point because I just, I was talking about that as well. Like, let's say for example, if, uh, you know, I, I got asked, Hey, do we always search with a charged hose line? And I said, well, majority of the time, that's what's going to happen. In our, in our staffed level, yeah. you know, the amount of staffing we have, we're always search, rescue, fire, control off the, you know, inch and three quarter or whatever else. And so that's going to happen quite a bit. Um, but if you, got, uh, if you got somebody that's coming up and saying, hey, there's somebody upstairs and they're trapped in there, then, you know, you may be going, you're going to VIS that when you're not going to have a hose line. Yeah. So what's that next, next task you have to do is you have to be able to throw a ladder by yourself. So when we talk about all those different tasks that need to be done, we're not only needed to throw the ladder by ourselves and set the ladder at that time, we also be able, need to put our mask on in a very quick manner and be able to do it with our gloves on and get up the ladder and be able to get into the room. Yeah. And so as new firefighters, I think that that's the other point too, is that with the new firefighters, you have to break those individual tasks down of that. It could just be that one yesterday pulling hose a whole crap load of times, 30, 40 times. You're just pulling hose, pulling hose, pulling hose. And then maybe it's the next time throwing a ladder, throwing a ladder, throwing a ladder. But then the other time it's, I'm putting a mask on with my gloves on, you know, and put in just repetition, repetition. And I, those are all those ones, like you're saying, if you get them right at eight o'clock in the morning. You're hitting them right off the bat. Hitting them right off the bat. Now, yeah, and, and that absolutely can be the case. I want to, just to clarify that a little bit, because I do think, well, first of all, we got to get the rigs checked. We got to get, we got to get to, you know, some morning stuff done, right? And so what I would typically do is I'd kind of plant the seed first thing in the morning, right? So we would do just maybe five minutes, 10 minutes, just off a piece of paper or something like that um, of, of a morning drill. And then we'd get into the typical firehouse banter and things like that. But say, for example, that morning we talked about, uh, you know, hose lines. Well, then that afternoon, then, then when we have a little bit more time to focus on it, then we'll get out and do some of that hands-on stuff. And so um, I wouldn't always do a bunch of heavy hands-on right out of the shoot, but more so like plant the seed for maybe what we exactly. were going to do a, a little bit later. And, and and you guys bring up a go ahead, Chief. I'm glad you I'm glad you say that because everybody that's on my staff that's probably listening to it like, oh my gosh, I hope we're not going to have to do like you know <laughs> all this <laughs> 30, heavy stuff right, right in a row. We're doing <laughs> at eight no, o'clock but, in the morning or whatever. But I think that's awesome because you're starting the day off with that first little nugget, like you said, you're hitting yep. on a piece of paper, and now it's instilling in our minds. It's like, yep, yep, we talked about that this morning. We have to go on out and do that. And that is imperative. I mean, that is what creates the culture, you know, just understanding it, knowing this is what we're going to do for the day. And you just hit it right away in the morning. Yeah. And that's, it just becomes the expectation. And one of the other things um, that I, that I'm always really passionate about is, um, and, and we do these as sometimes we would do these as morning drills as well, and then maybe dive into them a little bit further later in the day, if there was like an accompanying, accompanying like NIST fire dynamic simulator video or something like that. But I would always really harp on the concept of NIOSH reports and firefighter line of duty yeah. deaths. Um, I really think that short of, you know, your basic firefighter one and two training, going to paramedic school, you know, becoming an engine and ladder driver, things like that. Outside of those basic elements, um, I, I really think that studying firefighter fatality incidents is probably one of the most important things that we do. You guys still there? You kind of froze up a little bit. Yep, we're still here. Yeah, we're still there. 
Okay, I guess it just looks frozen on my end. But anyways, studying those those NIOSH reports, um, and if and if any of the the listeners aren't familiar with that, which I would imagine most are, this is uh, you know these are movers and shakers that I'm sure that are tuning into this podcast. But uh, that website is cdc.gov/niosh/fire, um, and that that NIOSH program is so critical because there's such a massive library and database of lessons learned there, and I sometimes get frustrated if if people just kind of uh, you know, give uh, give lip service to the concept of studying firefighter line of duty deaths, or maybe they just, you know, they, they they share a story about a firefighter dying on their Facebook page, and they change their Facebook profile over to a, you know, a Maltese cross with the black band across it or something. But then that's really the end of what they care about that particular incident. And too many people do that and have never spent the time digging, diving in, reading dispatch logs and radio transmissions and diagrams of incidents and photos and audio and all that kind of stuff to really glean as many lessons as they possibly can um, out, of, out of something like that. And that's really what we owe everybody, right? And, and we don't even have to look far. Unfortunately, we, uh, you know, have our, our more than our fair share of, of line of duty deaths right here in Ohio. And it's very crucial that we that we study those. And it's never from a place, never from a place of Monday morning quarterback. It's never from a place yeah. of looking back thinking, oh man, what are those, why did those guys ever decide to do that? It's truly from the lens of the utmost respect to look back at those incidents. Um, and and I, I tell groups all the time, I should not be able to look at a, at a group of fire officers anywhere in the country and just get kind of a blank stare back if I say, one Viridian Plaza, if I say Bryceland Street in, 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 in uh, Pittsburgh, if I say Southwest Supermarket Fire in Phoenix with Brett Tarver, if I say, you know, Southwest Inn with Iron Bill Dowling and four others in, in Houston as well, the Houston McDonald's fire, the list goes on and on, Worcester, Worcester Mass, Charleston Superstore, um, the, the list just goes on and on. 1131 Laidlaw Avenue, March 21st, 2003, Cincinnati, Ohio, Oscar Armstrong, right? We have to know all that stuff and that stuff needs to be top of mind. If you're riding in the front right seat of a fire apparatus and the weight is on your shoulders to make a go or no go decision based upon the things that you see coming out of that building when you get there. If that weight is on your shoulders, then you owe it to everybody that's riding the back of that apparatus with you and their families at home, certainly, to be as well-read, as studied as you can possibly be. Um, as as uh, I think Gordon Graham would, would phrase it, you know, like essentially the mental Rolodex in your head when it comes to some of those, um, you know, high-risk, low-frequency events and really spend, spending the time to study that so you're prepared for that concept of rep recognition prime decision-making. And again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing some of Gordon Graham's stuff there. I'd encourage all of you to look him up as well. But the whole idea is the more we can put in here, even if it wasn't our own experiences, even if it's studying the experiences of others, um, I think that's really crucial to do. And I think the fire, the, the fire officer, that lieutenant or that captain really can be not only an instructor, but kind of the historian for, for that, that, uh, that fire company, right? Bringing up, um, you know, bringing up anniversaries of the whatever, the Beverly Hills Supper Club fire, the Coconut Grove nightclub fire in Boston, or, or, you know, Iroquois Theater fire, even historic fires and the impact that they had on the fire code, as well as firefighter line of duty death incidents and the impact that they had on our industry. And so the company officer can really be that historian, making sure that some of those things don't fall through the cracks through the generations. Captain Brad French, Captain of Dayton Fire Department. He's a 22-year member of the fire service and holds degrees in fire administration, fire science, and criminal justice administration. 
He has served four years in the ISFSI Board of Directors from 2015 to 2019. He currently serves as a principal member of the NFPA 1700 and 1402 Technical Committees and is also a member of the technical panel of the ULFSRI Coordinated Fire Attack Study. He has presented at numerous National Fire Service training events, including FDIC, Firehouse Expo, Firehouse World, FRI, and the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association Conference. Thank you for tuning in to the Triple P Podcast, premier, professional, and proactive, brought to you by the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you feel so inclined, please help us spread the word by telling your fire and EMS friends about this channel.